Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. Drives one out to deep left field. This one's got a chance to get out of here. Gone. Three run Jimmy Jack first. Big league home run for Mike Trout. Five in the second half. Ladies and gentlemen, you have witnessed the second greatest scoring performance in NBA history. 55 in the second half. I never get tired of hearing that. 81 points total. The second greatest scoring performance in NBA history. Like he says, love hearing that intro. Thank you for downloading and or streaming another episode of Infinity Sports. This is your host, Wayne G. Joined as always by, and we're going to switch it up today, Sully. What's up? Hey, how's it going? Pulling a little switch on us there. Yes, sir. Jesse. Oh, man, I'm dizzy over here, Wayne. You threw me a curveball. <laughs> well, I know you can't hit curveballs. All right, so lots of stuff going on today. Let's start by saying you're obviously listening to us either on Stitcher or Spotify or iTunes. You found us somewhere in the podcast universe, or maybe you're listening to us on Thursdays between 11 and 12. That's when we're on the rtfsportsnetwork.com. Check us out on those days. Speaking of rtfsportsnetwork.com, we also have a ton of blogs there you can check out. Great content. Every sport is covered. So very good reads there. Check us out on Facebook at Infinity Sports Podcast, on Instagram at Infinity Sports Podcast, and on Twitter. Jesse, what's the Twitter handle? It is at Sports Infinity 5, and that is a play on our last segment of the show. Just like our Infinity Five. So, like I said, big show today. We're going to be talking about the argument that was started last episode, if you guys listened, and I know you did, so I don't even have to explain it, but I will. Tom Brady or Matt Stafford, equal, greater than, less two. We'll see what Dan has to say. He was kind of pitching equal last week. Then we're going to talk about the AFC East, Tom Brady's old division, mine and Jesse's favorite division. We're going to do our Infinity Five, which is going to have a video game spin to it, but... First things first, let's start off with the news. Breaking news since last week, Major League Baseball has agreed to terms. I know we said baseball's back last week, but we weren't really sure. Now I think we're pretty sure it's back. Absolutely, yeah. We've got a 60-game slate ahead of us. It's going to start in about a month. They've got spring training starting next week. I'm not really sure where spring training is going to start because it seems like where most of that seems to happen in South Florida seems to be popping up with the most cases as we've spoken about with Sully. So not sure if maybe they'll have that in their home stadiums, but within a month, we'll be having us some baseball boys. Yeah, I mean, that's the plan as of now, and I think we're all just really excited. I kind of wrote it off. I didn't expect it to happen. I'm really glad they got together and, and kind of hashed it out, but we'll see. You know, there was news today that about 15 or so odd players tested positive for the Toronto organization. The Phillies organization down here in Clearwater had to completely close facilities because their players testing positive. I'm just not really sure we're, we're going to be able to get a whole season together. We'll see with all these positive tests. You know, I'm trying to stay optimistic, but I'm just really hoping we get a season. Yeah, I know that the talk was early on they were going to have a bubble sort situation with the baseball season, just like they were with the NBA, where it was going to be all the games were going to be in Tampa or Miami, or all of them were going to be in Arizona, and they were just going to play all the games there. And now it seems like they told everybody to go back to their home stadium. So Boston's in Boston, New York's in New York, California's in California, and they're all going to fly and mix and mingle. It just seems weird that they were talking about playing it safe, and now they're like, fuck it, just you know, go to where you go. 
Yeah, I think the legitimacy and the real uh, actual games are going to be up in the air. We're not sure if it's going to happen, but what we do know is that they've come up with some new changes that when it when and if we do see baseball, it's going to be a little bit different. The first thing that I did notice is it's universal DH for both the regular season and the playoffs for both this year and next year. Yeah, I mean, that's going to have a huge impact. I mean, especially in the NL, you know, obviously teams can use these guys that weren't able to play because they are a liability in the field. You know, Jonas Cespedes being the first one that comes to mind. The guy can barely run, but man, if he can still swing the bat, he's going to be huge. So I'm really interested to see, you know, I'm a big fan of the rule change personally. I know a lot of baseball purists aren't, but I don't know. I I love the universal DH. I think it makes more sense and I'm thrilled to see it. Is the DH, I've always wondered this, it's more of an option that everybody opts for because why wouldn't you, right? I mean, it's not mandatory you have to have a DH. It's just kind of you can have one if you want. And the only reason I bring it up is because obviously let's say the Angels make it to the World Series. Will Otani hit if he pitches? Um, I mean, that's a good question. I don't think he would. I don't think he'd hit the day he pitches. I, I just don't think that's smart baseball. All right. I wasn't sure. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think you you wouldn't want to put the extra stress on his arm to swing that day, especially if you have another option. Now, I know Shohei Yatani's a great hitter, so, you know, you want him to take his cuts. But also, I think if he's if you've actually got him starting and he's pitching at that point, I think he's more important as a pitcher. The other big rule change that I did see that I wanted to get you guys' take on was that extra innings during the regular season this year will start with a man on second base. Well, that's the dumbest fucking rule ever. I like the rule, actually. And I had a big argument on Facebook about it because it does speed things up. I think we don't need 18, 19 inning games. Nobody needs those. Just everybody starts with a guy on second, score a run, hold the other team from scoring, you win the game, and we can avoid four, five-hour games, yeah? I'm fine with the runner starting at second if there's also starts with one out. What I can't stand is the starting at second with no outs. I mean, it's literally a sack bunt, sack fly, boom, that's it, runner's in. You know what I mean? You don't even have to fucking play baseball at that point. With one out, and if you sack bunt, then you can't just sack fire, things like that. You know what I mean? I just, with no outs, it's just, I don't know. I just, I can't stand that. It's going to be so boring. It's going to be so stupid. just makes me so mad. If you're not going to start that half inning with one out, then you at least have to take that runner off second and put him on first because to give him that much of an advantage, like you said, just a simple sack fly, something like a a deep single would get somebody home, especially if you can get somebody to pinch run out there. So it it just seems crazy the way that it seems to be set up. I like the DH change, but I'm not a fan of this extra innings change at all. Yeah, me either. And then just to touch back a little on the schedule thing that you mentioned, Wayne, What they're going to do now is they're just doing mostly, I guess, 40 games are going to be like just division. And then the rest, like the East is going to play the East. Central is going to play Central. West is going to play West. So you don't have to like travel as far. So I guess that'll be kind of cool. But I mean, I don't know. Like you mentioned, I'm not really sure how they're going to do it with all this travel involved, how they're going to keep people from not getting sick. Squishing baseball into 60 games is so crazy, and it's definitely going to have a huge impact on players that just signed deals with new teams. Maybe they signed one-year deals or got traded there. Mookie Betts comes to mind. So it's definitely going to be such a weird setting. What do you think, from a labor standpoint, about the players accepting a 60-game full prorated, which is what they were offered like two weeks ago and turned it down? Yeah, I'm not really sure what happened within the negotiations between now and that time because I'd have to get the full deal then and the full deal now and see exactly what changed because from everything I'm reading now, it's essentially the same deal. That's why, you know, we had an FBAS and RTF member Brandon Combs said, glad to see the owners finally cave. 
And I'm not really sure the owners caved. You know what I mean? I'm, I just think that was kind of the wrong term. These negotiations clearly just kind of ended, you know, like the MLB said, hey, look, we're at 60. Players Association said, well, we're at 70. And the MLB said, well, tough shit. Like, we're at 60. Let's make this happen. And I think both sides just came together and said, look, let's just make it happen at 60 games. We'll see what we can do with it. Not really sure. I don't know if you guys heard this. Over 42% of baseball this year is going to get paid $100,000 or less, which I I don't really understand how that's a win for baseball. I understand that's a lot of money, but like, you know, a lot of these guys, the heart of baseball, you know what I mean? They're taking huge pay cuts to play. And I, I don't know, man, I just, the 60 games just didn't make sense to me. That's a third of the regular season normally. So it's crazy. Speaking of the Major League Baseball coming back, we knew for a little while now NBA came back or is coming back. There was no labor dispute there. They all kind of agreed to do it. This big bubble in Orlando. And the testing is taking place now because basically everyone has to be clear for two weeks before they're allowed in the bubble and then they can't leave it. And I know we heard that Jokic from the uh, the Nuggets, he, he tested positive over in Serbia. So they're not letting him travel right away, but they're saying all of his symptoms are asymptomatic. He doesn't really show anything. So they're saying in a few days he'll be able to come over, but NBA is doing their COVID testing now. I don't think it's anything to worry about if guys do test positive because we do have that two-week window for them to get better, then get let into the bubble. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree also. I don't think it's a big deal either. Most of these guys, you know, I don't, I'm not going to try to sound like I know what I'm talking about here, but a lot of these are asymptomatic tests that they're just kind of carrying antibodies from being sick previously. Most of us probably got this, didn't even know we had it. It's kind of ran its course, but we still carry antibodies, so we pass a, a positive COVID test. And I think that's kind of what's happening to a lot of these athletes because they're asymptomatic. They're not sick. They feel fine, you know, and a lot of them are testing positive. It's the same thing that's happening with the college football players around the nation right now. And I think it's it sounds alarming when you hear these big numbers, but I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Just the two-week period of where you got to seclude them and then bada-bing, bada-boom, you're back, good to go. Yeah, we have seen a few players that have already declared they're not going to go ahead and play. I can think of three offhand, Avery Bradley being the biggest name so far because of the impact he'd have on that Lakers team that I think we all was the favorite to win the championship. But also Trevor Ariza and Davis Bertans have also opted to not go and play in the new NBA formatted playoff here. I think Avery Bradley is such a huge loss, not only because of his loss, but because that means the addition of J.R. Smith, and that's basically like a double negative. (laughs) Yeah, that's subtraction by addition. Yeah, most definitely. I think they'd rather have Avery Bradley for sure. I mean, I don't think J.R. Smith's role would be big enough for him to actually affect the team, but I mean, if that guy touches the basketball, it's obviously going to be a negative effect, so... But yeah, definitely looking forward to it. I still think the Lakers are the favorites here. And I think it's interesting that guys can opt not to play and teams can sign a guy like right away before everything starts. I understand they might have full rosters, but I wonder if that puts any teams at a disadvantage. Maybe you can tell your 12th man like, hey, maybe you should, you know, say you don't feel comfortable playing so that we can sign DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, that was actually the name I was going to bring up was Boogie Cousins. And wondering if you guys had any idea on which team you'd like to see him play on if he does decide to play in this playoffs. I'd still like to see him on the Lakers. Honestly, I don't really think DeMarcus Cousins really makes that big of a definable impact. I mean, yeah, he may play a couple minutes here and there, but yeah, it'd be cool to see him on the Lakers just because I'm a Lakers fan, so it'd be cool to see him there and they'd win. But, you know, the big men are dead now, so I don't know. 
Well, the next piece of news, which came and went essentially in a huge hurry from the time we last recorded till today, is NASCAR and Bubba Wallace. Now, we know that NASCAR banned the Confederate flag everywhere. Bubba Wallace has been very outspoken about trying to get that to happen, first of all, but also very Black Lives Matter. He's very much at the forefront of this. And apparently in Talladega, the team opens up the garage and they see a noose hanging in the garage. So NASCAR... You know, has a fit about it. Naturally, they hired uh, the FBI to investigate what happens. Turned out that it is a door pole that's attached to the garage. It is fashioned into a noose, so it's not just like a double knot. It is actually a noose. And as far, as far as I can see is it's the only noose among all the door poles in Talladega. So, But it was there last year, so it was just kind of bad luck that Wallace got assigned that particular garage. Now, do you actually fucking believe that? Which part? The bad luck part. There's way too many coincidences. No, I don't mind the coincidence. Just the bad luck part. I think it's a bad luck because I think that it is the only bay that has the new store pole. And exactly. And so you don't think somebody who's ever assigning bays, I'm just saying that's the odds of that happening, of the one black driver getting the one fucking bay with a noose on it, the odds are astronomical for that to randomly happen. I understand it can happen, but the odds are way, way, way too astronomical for that to randomly happen. Now, I understand the noose may not been tied to deliberately for him when it was tied, blah, blah, blah. Whoever put Bubba Wallace in that bay deliberately put Bubba Wallace in that bay with the noose as the tie on it. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. I agree. I think there's just way too many red flags, way too many coincidences. And I knew coming in when Bubba Wallace was outspoken, rightfully so, about wanting the Confederate flag removed from the NASCAR events and venues that he was going to have a huge fight against him because that sport is probably the sport that has the most amount of pushback because of the type of sport it is, where it started and where it does most of his races now. He was going to have a huge fight against him. And to see the things that have happened in not just the last 24 hours, but over one week. It's crazy the week he's had. I certainly feel for the guy. I loved the the moment that the NASCAR drivers had with Bubba Wallace when they walked the car with him. I don't take anything away from the fact that FBI had, to me, one of the quickest investigations I've ever seen. But yeah, it, I'm with Sully. It's just way too odd. Well, let me ask you this, Sully. So let's say that it was he was deliberately put in there, unknown to him. Somebody put him in there, somebody who works for NASCAR. Did they put him in there to send him a message, or did they put him in there to get this whole unity message out? That I don't know. I'm not saying it was done with malicious intent or done with one way or another. I'm just saying there is no possible way that randomly happened. He was purposely placed into that bay. Now, I don't know if it was to make it say, hey, you know, get out of here, black guy, this is our sport, or, you know, to have the reverse effect and get the unity of the sport, which it kind of had. Now, you know, I mean, Talladega is also a real touchy place. Talladega still flies the flag outside during its thing. It, it had Somebody paid money to fly a, a plane over with a giant Confederate flag towed behind it the day it, it opened and everything like that and all this happened. So, I mean, like, Talladega is a real special place in the fact that it's really attached to its confederate roots somehow i don't know why because it doesn't make any sense to me but the randomness and the coincidences i I mean it just doesn't make sense now i had the argument with somebody on facebook today where i said okay let's assume 
the worst. And when I say the worst, what I mean is let's assume that NASCAR or somebody with NASCAR knowingly put him in there specifically to create this whole whirlwind that happened. That's why they did it. And everything played out exactly how they felt it would. And then the FBI investigation came out, which in a way kind of makes Bubba Wallace look bad. Like he's trying to do a Jesse Smollett thing, which I don't think is the case at all. But let's say that that's, that whole thing was planned and rigged, which stinks. But if it was... Really, nothing bad came out of it, right? I mean, we had kind of all these nice moments of unity. I mean, nothing really bad came out of them doing it. The only thing bad coming out of it is the fact that people are trying to smear Bubba Wallace and really drag him through the mud, trying to act like he really placed that in there and knew about it the whole time, which he had never gone in there. So I'm seeing a lot of negative things about him online, which I certainly hate, but that's part of the fight that he's going to have to continue to push forward. And he's been a great person throughout it so far. I mean, there's not really a ton of negativity, like like Jesse mentioned. You know, the the fact that he is being compared to Jesse Smollett, which you know makes no sense. I mean, Bubba Wallace didn't even find the news, see the news, had anything to do with the news. Really, it was his teammate who then went and told him, "Hey, you got a noose in your garage." So it's not like he set it up. I mean, I guess he could have, but it's not like you know what I mean. It's not like he is the one that is like, "Hey, I found this," and blah blah blah. So it's a little different, but I mean. If that is, to play the devil's advocate, if that is what happened and NASCAR set this whole thing up and and specifically put him in this bay to create this whole thing, then, I mean, I guess they accomplished their goal. I mean, everybody's talking about how proud they are of NASCAR and how they are coming together and how they're abolishing the the history of their sport and how they are one of the bigger sports with the racial undertones and things like that. So, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it was kind of a win if they did set it up. So good for them. Now, staying with race, unfortunately, we've still got another story here. Marge Schott, the former owner of the Cincinnati Reds, her name was on the stadium at the University of Cincinnati. Now, the story goes, everyone knows that back in 1996, she did a Sports Illustrated article where I think she praised Hitler and said he was a good guy or something like that. But she's just an ultimate bigot, racist, everything. There was Nobody liked her in baseball, and they forced her to sell her team. Then in 2004, she dies. In 2006, the Marge Schott Foundation gives $2 million to the University of Cincinnati, who names the stadium after her. And I don't know if it was a condition, but they did it anyways. 14 years later, they say, we're taking the name down. We don't want to be associated with her type of bigotry and racism. Well, what did she say over the last 14 years from her grave that made you do this? You took her money knowing what she said. You took her money after she died. You knew every single word she said in her life. It just it, I, I was so pissed when I saw this. Yeah, I really hate the whole revisionist history thing that the country seems to do nowadays. We see a comic made a joke a decade ago and we need to bury him. I hate that whole movement. I think that what they said then shouldn't be held against them now. And I feel that same way about if you took money and you used it to your benefit and now 14 years later, you don't want to be associated with it. That's real shitty. I mean, I think we're going to universally agree here, fellas. I mean, it's not like in 2006 when they took the money, they didn't know Shot was a shitty person. And that's what's so confusing. They named their stadium knowing she was a bigot and a racist and a terrible owner and somebody was forced out of baseball and all of these things. And they took her money, or the foundation's money, which was in her name, and they named their stadium after them. And now that all of this is is in the forefront and everything, now they want to come back. Now, what I hope is they have to return that $2 million dollars I truly hope that with interest, whatever it would be now, you know, considering inflation, I hope they have to return that to the Shot Foundation and then hopefully the Shot Foundation can do it to, you know, improve something else or do something else to improve Mark Shot's name or do something like that. But I just, I, I agree with you, both of you guys. I just hate the fact that they go back on, it's not like new information came out. So why go back on your word? 
And what bothers me the most isn't that they're taking the name down and they're saying they don't want to be associated with it. Fine. I understand. But fall on the sword. Say, listen, 14 years ago, we took this money. It was poor judgment. We shouldn't have. We did. We feel bad about it. That's why we're taking the name down. But don't try to be all pompous up on your pedestal like, hey, we don't want to be associated with this. Yo, fuck you. You didn't care 14 years ago. What they should do, honestly, is they should take that money and donate it to the movement. They should take the $2 million that they got from Marge Shot, the foundation, and donate that to the movement. If they really don't want to be associated with anything Marge Shot, then take the money she gave you and donate it to the movement also. No, I completely agree. Last bit of news that we have is kind of video game-ish. The PlayStation 5 was revealed last week, and they showed a bunch of games that are going to come out on it. The graphics look absolutely insane. What does this have to do with sports? We got to see some video and some photos from Madden 21. Now, my take on Madden is basically it's been the same game since Madden 2003. So if you've been playing Madden since 2003, you have yet to get a new game. You've been getting the same game over and over with updated rosters, and now you've got better graphics. The graphics are absolutely stunning, but the game's probably going to be shit. Yeah, you're paying $60 each year to get sweatier players. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to, I think we're going to all universally agree here again, guys. I mean, I haven't owned the system in quite a long time, but I play, you know, each year it comes out and... I agree. I mean, I like I said, I haven't owned a system and I can hop on and, and I'm just as good at Madden as I was 10 years ago, which, you know, isn't very good, but, you know, still the same. I'm still going to get out there and I know what I'm doing and, and you know, it, it doesn't really change for the most part. So, yeah, you know, it's just robbing these kids for all their money, man. And the reason we brought it up at the end of the news segment is to foreshadow. You will hear more about sports video games later in the show. Dun, dun, dun. Next segment we got here is a carryover from last week's episode. We had Brandon Combs on. We talked NFC North. He said something to Dan, which made me laugh later listening to the show. Dan said, you know, the Lions got their quarterback back. That's why they're going to be better. And Brandon said, well, what did he ever do for them? Dan says, I don't know, throw for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns every year. (laughs) And uh, it led to a discussion where Dan had said something to the effect that if Matthew Stafford were in New England instead of Detroit, if he had that protection, he had Belichick, he had everything there, that he would have won four Super Bowls. Now, that's still less than Brady's six, but basically he's saying that Stafford is not that big of a drop-off from Tom Brady, and I'm waiting for him to defend his position here. Oh, hold on. I need to go ahead and pull the pin out of this because I'm going to put the pin in this. Okay. And uh, I, I first I first want to go ahead and say that I'm not going to come out and smear or beat up on Stafford. I just want to say oh, he's a much different quarterback, and I think that because of the risks that he takes, because he is more mobile yet less accurate, I don't think that he would have – four championships. I'd give you he'd have two because of the coaching he'd have and the coaching chemistry that everything happens in New England. You know, that great mindset that happens there that gets them to play positive and professional. I think that Matt Stafford is a really good guy, really good quarterback, but not someone who's going to come away with four rings. I love Bill Belichick, but when it comes to the Bill Belichick versus Tom Brady debate, I just, I got to put more stock in Tom Brady. He made it from a schmuck from the seventh round to be a guy who's now has more championships than any other quarterback in the history of this league. And he's not done yet. So I just think it's, it's a far cry to say that you could take a guy from the NFC North that hasn't won a playoff game yet and say that, yeah, you put him in another franchise and because of the way they do things there, he's going to walk away with four rings. So Sully, here you go, man. Well, I say it because... Matthew Stafford is, I think, arguably one of the most underrated players of our generation and honestly of all time. He owns the record for the fastest player ever to 30,000 
our most most passing yards before the age of 30. He owns that record. He also is uh, doing it with kind of like a, a more increased accuracy efficiency. You say he's not, and yeah, his, his earlier years, he wasn't very accurate, but actually since Calvin Johnson left, he's actually been more efficient and more accurate. And, you know, he actually also, since 2011, nobody has more yards from dropped passes. So, therefore, if the passes would have been caught, he would have had these yards added on. He's regularly at about 66% completion percentage, which, you know, is is fantastic. His adjusted completion percentage has led the league in previous seasons. He led the league in 2017 in adjusted completion percentage. He's a different quarterback than what you portray. He's a guy who's always going to get the job done, and I think that is would excel in New England system. Now, this isn't a knock on Tom Brady. I just think Matthew Stafford is a very, I mean, we forget he was a number one overall pick. You know what I mean? He throws, like I said, for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns literally every season. I mean, it's just what the guy does. You put him on a franchise that excels, and I mean, I just think he can do the same things. I mean, really, what's the difference between three and four Super Bowls? Yeah, maybe he wins three and not four. And I mean, if that makes my argument more appeasing to you, then fine. Like, if it's only half the Super Bowls Tom Brady wins, then fine. You know, yes, I think Tom Brady makes a huge difference, and I think he wins a ton of games for the New England Patriots, a ton of games that Matthew Stafford may not win. But I also think Matthew Stafford wins the games for the Patriots that Tom Brady can't necessarily have them win. You know, he's, he's got more arm talent. I think we can just all agree on that. Yeah, he, he may not make the, he may not be as heady as Tom Brady, and that's where a lot of games were won. But I just think Matt Stafford's criminally underrated because he plays in the shithole that is Detroit. My best argument was made right there when you said that, you know, a headier player, a headier quarterback is where most games are won, especially those playoff games. But again, Matt Stafford to me is this generation's Dan Marino. He's a guy that can throw forever. He's got a a fantastic arm, but I just don't think that he's got it in between the ears to do what needs to happen to win those crunch time games. I think that he can throw forever. I loved seeing him and Calvin Johnson, but he's not a guy that is third all time as far as quarterback rate. That's Tom Brady. I think that Tom Brady has done more with less. And I I do know that Tom Brady has had the likes of Gronk when he's healthy and Randy Moss for a couple years. But the guys that he won with in those crunch time years, he won with a bunch of schmucks to start his career. There's a couple cases that can be made on either side. When I was looking at the stats head-to-head, obviously Stafford's been injured a lot, so he's played a lot fewer games, and he's still a lot younger. But I just did their per-game statistics, and basically you look at their yardage, obviously, Stafford 275 to 261, which, you know, no surprise there. Completion percentage is pretty close, 63.8 for Brady, 62.5 for Stafford. So I think the biggest thing is that Stafford gets sacked 2.3 times per game to 1.8 for Brady. Stafford's already been sacked almost as many times as Brady has in his career, and even with all the injuries and how young he is. So I'm wondering if he played in a system that kept him upright more, would he have excelled a little bit more? See, and that's kind of my point. You know, it's, I think they're athletically and talent wise quarterback. I think they're very close. You know, obviously I think Tom Brady's mind separates him and makes him the player that wins six Super Bowls. But I, I, again, my argument isn't that Matthew Stafford's better than Tom Brady or even close to Tom Brady. My argument is that if you put Matthew Stafford on the New England Patriots during this dynasty run, this Patriots team still wins three or four Super Bowls. And and I don't think that's crazy to say. I really don't. I mean, Matthew Stafford is an excellent Pro Bowl quarterback who, like I said, I just think it's criminally underrated. And if you've given more pressure or given more time to throw and given a better system where his coach isn't changed every three days and he's not having these fucking bum-ass wide receivers. I mean, yes, he had Calvin Johnson, but outside of that, 
you know, he hasn't really had much. And to be honest with you, the numbers point, he's actually been a more efficient and kind of better quarterback since Calvin Johnson left, just because that's more, again, that's more the offense was just designed throw the ball to Calvin Johnson no matter what. Now it's get the ball all around. And I, I don't know. I just think he's a really good player. And, and again, I'm not trying to discount Tom Brady in any way whatsoever. I just think Matthew Stafford does a really good job on the New England Patriots if he's their quarterback. How many quarterbacks have the opportunity to go to New England during Tom Brady's tenure and actually walk away with three championships? I think a lot do. So I'm not sure if you're saying more about Matt Stafford or more about Bill Belichick and the Patriots organization. So you're saying Stafford's kind of an average quarterback because the average quarterback could come in there and win three. I certainly think that Matt Stafford is above average, but I also think that there's a decent amount of quarterbacks that you could take during Tom Brady's career and put them in his situation and walk away with three rings. Yeah, and every one of them's probably a Pro Bowl fucking quarterback. You know what I mean? You know, I don't think Alex Smith is doing it, and I think we can all agree Alex Smith is a pretty average quarterback. He's a decent quarterback, but I don't think he's winning three Super Bowls. I don't think, you know, so... Hey, man, he was taken first overall, too. Exactly. But, you know, that's kind of why I brought up his name. It's just kind of a similar situation. He's an average quarterback who has arm talent, who has talent, and he's probably equally as heady as Tom Brady, but... He's obviously not winning the same amount of games or the same games that Tom Brady was, and I don't think he's going to win the same amount of games Matt Stafford was. I think there's levels to quarterbacks, and we all understand that. Tom Brady's on a level of his own. I'm not trying to put Matthew Stafford on his level. I'm more just saying that I think people discount exactly what Matthew Stafford has done in that little city of Detroit. You know what I mean? You go back and you look at his numbers, and the guy just produces every single year. That's all he does with no talent around him. You know, he had some injuries to start his career, and beyond that, he's played 16 games for the last two, three, four, eight years. I mean, that's just, and then, yeah, he got his back hurt this year. And I mean, to do that with just nobody around him getting sacked all year long, like, I, I mean, it, I just, I really, he's got a career quarterback rating of, of 90. You know what I mean? I really like the guy. I draft him every year that I can in fantasy football because of the yards that he puts up. And I think that he, again, would walk away with three championships. Wayne, what do you think that Stafford would do in the New England system? Where do you plant your flag as far as if he's with Bill Belichick and the Patriots organization? Does he get three or more rings? I think so. Or is it more Tom Brady? No, well, I think Brady obviously still gets six because Brady is Brady. And that's the big thing, the knock against Stafford, is that Stafford's career touchdown to interception ratio is one to one. Brady's is three to one. So basically, Stafford is putting up the same numbers as Jameis Winston in terms of turnovers for touchdowns. So I don't think that he would do what Tom Brady did. And I think Dan's clarified that he doesn't think so either. But I do agree with Dan that he gets at least three just because Belichick, I think, could win two championships with an Alex Smith. And I do think that Stafford is better than Smith. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him get three or even four. That's fair. Hell is freezing over, folks. You guys agree every episode now. I know. Now it's just getting to the point where it's like it's you're gross. about to just disagree just to and disagree. Well, I'm pretty sure we're about to, aren't we, Wayne? The gloves are coming off in about two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Just wait till we wait till we get to the next segment, folks. You're gonna love this. Continuing our segments into reviewing different divisions here in the NFL, we are going to the AFC East. That is mine and Jesse's favorite team's division. It is the division that Dan's favorite player now, I guess, came from. I don't know, but I don't even want to talk about that right now. We will talk about the team records, though, what we think they're going to do. Least valuable player, most valuable player. And I'm ready to fight with Dan, so I'll let Jesse start, you know, just heating the water. What do you have the Patriots going, Jesse? 
All right, so the New England Patriots, I do have them certainly taking a step back from what they've done in the past with Tom Brady at the helm. I have them finishing the season at 9-7. and seven. They certainly are going to lose a lot of games against the tough teams this year. Seattle, KC, San Francisco. I think they lose to Buffalo once or twice. They also play Baltimore and Arizona. So they have a, certainly a, one of the toughest schedules I've seen this year. So I have them going 9-7. and seven. I do still believe in their defense. They do have the reigning defensive player of the year on their team. So I have them going 9-7, and seven, not making the playoffs. Yeah, 9-7 and seven, I think is being a little generous as a Pats fan. You know, I said this a long time ago that I'm going to put their over-unders at 6.5 and, and I'm taking the under and I'm sticking with it. I got the Pats going 6-10. and 10. I just don't think this is their year, and and unfortunately, they play a really tough schedule, man. They're probably going to win both against the Jets. They're they're probably going to split the Dolphins, and then optimistically, they may split the Bills, but they may lose both. And then other than that, the Seahawks, the Chiefs, the Niners, the Ravens, the Cardinals, the Rams. I mean, I just think it's a tough division. I mean, a tough schedule. I I don't really think they do well. I know they got a great defense, and I think it's going to win them a couple of games. You know, like it may win them one of those Bill games. I think it ends up winning them that Bronx. Broncos game, which I think is going to be a tougher game than you guys think. I think it's going to win them that Raiders game, which is going to be a tougher game than you think. And I just think they sneak six wins out of there. Well, I have the Patriots going 11-5 and five and <laughs> winning the division. And I actually even put a special note here that the Ravens game is going to be Jarrett Stidham's coming out party because it's going to be a shootout with Lamar Jackson, and he's going to outperform Lamar Jackson in that win. He's going to throw for over 300, probably three touchdowns. I think that his talent is so great. And Considering Brady was awful last year, Stidham can make all the throws that Brady can't make. Now, he doesn't have Brady's head. He doesn't have Brady's experience. He can't break down the defenses the same way. But he isn't a Josh McDaniels offense. And McDaniels has never, ever put a quarterback in a bad position. He will put you in a position to always be able to make the right throws. And given Stidham's arm talent versus Brady, his mobility versus Brady, I think he's going into a system that Brady did all he could with, but Stidham can do more with. And I'm saying 11-5. and Wow. I mean, is that you, Brandon Combs? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I mean, I just think is—I think you guys are talking a lot. His homerism's rubbing off on you, man. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm a huge Jared Stidham fan. I had him ranked, you know, ahead of Daniel Jones in last year's draft. So I do think he's a really good player. I do think he's got a lot of talent. I don't know if this year is his coming out year, though. I just think he's got he's to have a year under his belt. And then I think we can start talking about him next year. And I think we can talk about the Patriots this year. I just think you're a year too early. That's all. But I understand, you know, the word fan comes from fanatic. So I, so I completely understand. Sully, this Patriots defense was ranked top three last year, and they lost guys like Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins. Do you really think they've lost that much, so much so, to lose 10 games? That's crazy. Kyle Van Noy is huge. Is a huge loss for you guys. I mean, massive loss. Kyle Van Noy was a top 10 rated player at his position by PFF. So, I mean, regardless of, of what you feel about them, you know, the analytics don't lie. I mean... The guy gets to the quarterback, he plays good coverage, he can defend the run really well. I mean, he's just kind of an all-around good player. Jamie Collins was obviously a need, or you wouldn't have gone out and got him last year when you needed him. I just don't think you did much to replace those guys. You know, I understand this maybe Chase Winovich is coming out year and things like that, but I don't know. Like I said, I, I think you're just a year away. I think you're placing a lot of stock in these younger guys to just step in and do extremely well. And I don't know if I see that. I think there just needs to be a year of growth first. I'm not sure what PFF is. I get all my stats from ESPN. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think that the Patriots defense will be just as good this year, if not better, because I think that they got younger and they got faster and they got more athletic. And I think that they still have the best secondary in the entire NFL. So if you take that best secondary and you add a couple of athletic, speedy, quick pass rushers, if Rivers can come back healthy, which is a big if, and I don't like to play the if game, but I'm just saying, Uche, great addition there. Dietrich Wise can get after the quarterback. We've seen that. So they are more athletic getting after the quarterback, which is going to force errant passes into a lethal secondary. Uh, I mean, Baltimore's over there saying, hey, don't forget about us in this best secondary. But I agree they're they're extremely talented. Again, I think they're going to place a, a, their defense is going to have to win them a lot of games. And I think their defense is, is the reason I'm giving them six wins. Otherwise, I think they'd be probably a 3-13 and ball club. So you know that the last time Tom Brady didn't play a full season with the Patriots, Matt Castle played that season, and they still ended up with 11 wins? I do, and Matt Castle is also in the NFL for, I believe it was four years. He was also implemented with the system. He had known the system. Jared Stidham is essentially a rookie. This kid's played less than 100 snaps. You know what I mean? He, he's just, he's got to get his feet wet. That's all I'm saying. He's got to get his feet wet. I think just to assume he's going to step in and just perform at a, at a Pro Bowl level is, I just think, a little optimistic. That's all. My only contention with Matt Castle is that it was his third year. He took over as a starter, and it was the first time he had started a football game since he was 17 years old. He started zero games. In fact, he played in pretty much zero games in college because he played behind two Heisman-winning quarterbacks. So at least Jarrett Stidham had two years as a starter in the SEC before his rookie year. So he, in a way, that is counts as experience because, again, we're talking zero snaps for four years in college. No, it doesn't. I, I mean, I don't care. I, I mean, honestly, I obviously care what you did in college, but when it comes to performing, it, it doesn't matter at all. Ryan Leaf was a, a Heisman-winning quarterback and couldn't play quarterback in the NFL. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. It matters what you got between the head. And Matt Castle, uh, we can all agree, is a very heady player, and he's smart, and he knows what he's doing on the field. We don't know that about Jared Stidham yet. That's all I'm saying. I want to see it before I just come out there and say, hey, he can do it. I understand he has all these physical tools. Again, I mean, I had the guy rated extremely high. I agree with you when all these people say he's a first-round quarterback and, and, and you say he's a first-round quarterback and people are like, well, what do you mean he got drafted in the fourth? Well, his talent says otherwise. I, I mean, you can have a player rated. I had Daniel Jones rated as a third-round player just because he went top five. You know what I mean? Doesn't mean he's not a third-round rated talent kind of thing according to my board. So it's like I, I get what you're saying. I have Jared Stidham rated very highly. That doesn't mean I, I mean I still have to see him do it. That's all I'm saying. So we do have varying opinions on the Patriots this year and on Jarrett Stidham. It sounds like at least one of us has the Patriots winning the division. That's that's Wayne. I actually have the Buffalo Bills winning the division, and I have them winning it at 10-6. and six. They still face the same gauntlet as the Patriots. I do think they squeak out some of those wins. But for the most part, they do really well in the division, and they end up 10-6. and six. I actually completely agree with you. I think they go 10-6 and six and win this division. I'm a big fan of Josh Allen. We talk about young quarterbacks and how they perform, and Josh Allen's a perfect example. You know, the guy's gotten better progressively every year, you know what I mean? And, and that's something I like to see. You know, I think this is going to be have to be his coming out year. I think he's really going to have to put a lot on his shoulders and really win a lot of ball games for this team, but I think he can. This is his year. The Pats are at their weakest point. I think we can all agree that it, regardless of how we think they're going to play, they're at their weakest point. So this is the year Buffalo needs to strike, and, you know, I think they've got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, so... I like their defense a lot. I think Sean McDermott is a really good coach. And I think that this is the year they make it over the hump and they win that division. Wayne, do you have them finishing second? 
I do have them finishing second and winning the wild card, and I have them at 10 and 6. So I think that they're a team that's very good. I also love Josh Allen. I think that his arm talent is like nothing I'd seen since Michael Vick. It's just incredibly huge. The way he throws the football, and he doesn't throw it very accurately, I guess kind of like Vick. He sprays it all over the field, not always to his teammates. But I think the addition of Stefan Diggs is going to be a huge help. And yeah, I have them 10 and 6. I think that they're on trending upwards. All right, so third in the division, I actually have Miami. This may shock some, but I think that they had a good draft, a a better draft than some expected because they did have three first-round picks. I think they had good picks with each of them, and I see this team really progressing. I do like Brian Flores a lot as a coach. I think he added a really good free agent uh, this offseason, and this is a team that I have at 7-9. and Wow. So that's it's a little better than I have them. I have them finishing the same record as the Patriots at six and ten, and I have them finishing third with the division as well. You know, whatever the tiebreaker ends up being. But I agree. I think they're a, a club that's trending upwards. I like a lot of the moves they're making. I like how they're building their team through the offensive line and through the trenches and things like that. I, you know, I like their secondary a lot. I think they're extremely talented. Imagine if they still had Minka Fitzpatrick there. I mean, I just think this team's trending upwards right now, and I, I can't wait to see what Tua does if he's healthy. I do see Tua coming in after the bye week, so I think that ends up being week 9 or 10, I believe, so they give him the last 5 or 6 games there to give him a feeler uh, before they give him uh, all the full range in the second season. I like Tua as well, and I think that not every team in a division can go 10, 11 wins, especially when they're all playing the teams that they're playing, they all play each other. So I have the Dolphins at 5 and 11. I do think Tua is going to come in. I do think he's going to show extreme promise when he does come in, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them start off like 0 and 6, 0 and 7, and then maybe finish the year like 5 and 4 or, you know, 4 and 4, something like that. So I have them 5 and 11 uh, finishing the season tied for last, along with the New York Jets. I'll just say at 5 and 11 for them as well, and they're just going to be a huge disappointment this year, especially after they trade Jamal Adams. Yeah, I've got the Jets at 4-12, and actually. I don't like that team at all. Clearly the worst team in the AFC East. Their coach, Adam Gase, is a nutball. I think that they have gotten worse on both sides of the ball. And yeah, 4-12 and is, is the best that I see out of this Jets team. Damn, Jesse, we agree again, man. Yeah, I got the Jets at 4-12, basement of the division. Unfortunately, right now, it just seems like an organization in disarray, you know, like you said, with the Adam Gase and just the way he's just driving guys out and Jamal Adams wanting to leave. And I don't know, they just don't seem like they're a football club that's a team and and wants to play together or anything like that. So I think they're going to get beat up in this division. So you've evaluated plenty of quarterbacks and you evaluated Sam Darnold. What did you think of him? And do you think he still has a shot at becoming anything in the league? I really do. I'm a big, big, big Sam Darnold fan. So one of my biggest things that I like about Sam Darnold was he can make any throw on the football field, even under pressure. And you saw that a lot with USC. You know, he he didn't have a great offensive line. And so he's, he's making these throws and guys are bearing down on him in their pinpoint accurate throws. And so you love to see that, but it's just, you know, unfortunately now it's all the time. I think he's getting kind of the Derek Carr syndrome where he's kind of, or the David Carr syndrome where now he's, he's kind of used to it and he's kind of just expecting pressure even when there's not pressure. And so now he's rushing throws and just things like that. I, I really hope he can get back because I'm a big fan of Sam Darnold, but it, it just looks like the USC curse quarterback curse is kind of real. Yeah, he's seeing ghosts. 
Yeah, I think that Sam Darnold is an exceptional talent as well. I agree with you there. I think that he has every play in the book or every throw in the book. I, I do like him a lot. I do think he's in a bad situation in New York. And just kind of jumping over the whole MVP, I'm starting with my LVP then because I do have Darnold as my LVP. And it's not through any really fault of his own. It's just that that Jets team is supposed to be better. They upgraded their offensive line. Le'Veon Bell is supposed to be bouncing back. And when they do finish 4-12 and or 5-11, and I think a lot of that blame is going to fall back on Darnold. He's going to do everything he can but there's only so much. So I have him as my least valuable player for the division. Oh, that's not fair, Wayne. I mean, my least valuable player is an established player that signed a huge contract there, whined about it on the internet, and that's Lev Bell. I think that he has done nothing to earn the contract or earn playing time in the league anymore. He is a real burden on that offense. He's not going to help Sam Darnold progress in his career, and he is my LVP for the AFC East. You know, I took LVP a little differently. Instead of least valuable player, I went least valuable person, and I picked Adam Gase. I just think he's a fucking mess, and he's just running that franchise into the ground. And I just think that's, I mean, we all kind of have the same undertones of of what we're saying, but that Jets team's just a mess, and they just can't find a way to win. And you think one person is going to blame Sam Donald, you think one person is blaming Le'Veon Bell, and I think they're going to blame Adam Gase. So that's where I'm at with that. Except Wayne, of course. I think me and Jesse may both have the same most valuable player. I'm going to go with Josh Allen here. I, I think he steps up, and the guy just wins ball games this year and really comes into his own. Like we already mentioned, I love him as a quarterback. I'd be really happy if he was the leader of my team. So I think the Bills got a bright future ahead of him. You are certainly correct, Sully. Josh Allen is my MVP for the AFC East. Not only does he have a cannon for an arm, but this guy's not afraid to go ahead and truck some guys and get some extra yardage. You know, he did have a good amount of rushing touchdowns in his rookie year. So I do have faith that this guy's going to help the Buffalo Bills get over the hump, both offensively and defensively. This is a great team, but Josh Allen's going to actually carry that flag into the playoffs for the AFC East, and he's my team MVP. Well, my division MVP comes from my division champion, New England Patriots, and that is Nikhil Harry. I have him finishing the season with 83 grabs, 1,509 yards, so I can win my bet, and 14 touchdowns. Wow, you're delusional. <laughs> <laughs> the full healthy season, he's so, going to be a stud this year. So you have the Patriots winning 11 games, Nikhil Harry getting 1,300 or whatever it is yards, and somehow Jared Stidham isn't your most valuable player? No, because he's going to really lean on uh, Nikhil Harry to, to carry on. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> so, that sounds video game-ish as far as stats go. Yeah, he's just trying to win his bet at this point and save some face, you know. It is time for the Infinity Five, and as we mentioned, we teased it earlier, it is a video game Infinity Five. Sports video games, we're going to talk about our top five favorite sports games that we played growing up, or still, and I think it's a pretty cool thing to talk about what we played. I know I'm older than you guys, so I probably played some of these games you know, before you guys started playing, but I'm curious to see. Jesse, kick us off. What's, what's your uh, top five? All right, so my top five favorite video games is... NBA Street Volume 2, followed by ESPN 2K5 that had T.O. on the cover. Then Madden 07, that's the one that actually had Sean Alexander on the cover. Then I went with Wii Sports that had the Wii Tennis and bowling, uh, baseball. And then my last game is WWE SmackDown, Here Comes the Pain. That's from 2003 and had Brock Lesnar on the cover. Let me ask you this, so... 
ESPN 2K5, I know the 2K series is considered the greatest football series ever. I think 2K5 was the last one they did with TO on the cover because they sold it for $19.99 and they blew away EA Sports and sales. In your opinion, because you also have Madden 07 on there, 2K5 versus Madden 07, what's your take between the two games? I personally feel like the better game the better experience was 2K5. The better graphics ended up being Madden. I loved the fact that the 2K5 games really involved what you would see if you were watching ESPN. And growing up at that time, I did come home from school and watch ESPN. So being able to play video game and feel like they were talking about a player on the team that I was running or playing with, hearing Chris Berman or Trey Wingo or Mel Kuyper Jr., that was awesome to me. Uh, I love the graphics that we end up seeing with Madden year after year. But like we already mentioned in the episode, that's really all they changed was the graphics got better, but the gameplay did not. I just played the most with Madden 07. That's a great list. I mean, I, I, I'm i not going to lie, I'm going to change it now, but I had Wii Sports on my list too, man. I, I played the shit. I can't tell you how many days I skipped school, got high, and played Wii Sports for just hours. And just, I mean, you could not touch me in tennis. You couldn't touch me. I was fucking Roger Federer. You couldn't touch me in tennis. I was so good. I was asked to go to the Olympics in Wii Sports, so I don't really want to hear it. Uh, so you'd have been, you'd have been silver medal behind me, fam. That's what's up. So since since we're doing age wise, you you know you want me to go next, Wayne, or, or you you want to do beauty before age? And no, like, you go go ahead and go for it. I mean, I know obviously you guys both talking about Wii Sports is definitely in your age bracket. I tried Wii Sports. I would punt that fucking thing as far as Reggie Roby can punt. I cannot <laughs> stand Wii Sports. Bro, it is so much fun. I love it, dude. I love Wii Sports. All right, then I'll start. I'm going with Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball. Uh, it was it was the best baseball game of all time. It was just the greatest. I love that game. Next, this game just, you know, it was probably the first video game I can actually kind of remember playing, like sports video game. Uh, NHL 94 on Sega Genesis. That was just my fucking jam. And then the next one I'm going to go is uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater. I can't tell you how many times I played this game just from... Sun up to sundown. That game was my jam. Then the next one I'm going is Mario Kart 64. Obviously, arguably one of the greatest games of all time. And then the last one, you know, I felt like I had to go football here. So I'm probably going to go Madden 04. I'm not going to lie, though. I probably like the NCAA series a little bit better. So I may go NCAA football 14. Actually, I am. I'm going to go NCAA football 14. That's where I'm going. I like that last-minute edition of the NCAA game, but I cannot believe you, Sully, do not have a FIFA game on your rankings. I know, man. It's just tough, though, with only five. Like, I don't have MLB The Show on here either, and I'm obsessed with MLB The Show. So it's like, I I mean, there's just only so many. Uh, I mean, which one are you taking off? I'm not taking off Mario Kart. I guess I could take off Tony Hawk Pro Skater, but it's just the nostalgia I mean, FIFA definitely deserves to be on the list. It's just with only five, you can only put so many up there, man. No, yeah, Tony Hawk absolutely needs to stay on there. Uh, This may be blasphemy, but I never played the Ken Griffey Jr. baseball game. What? Yeah, you're not missing out on much, regardless of what Dan says. (laughs) Oh, that game was so dope. Any of those games that was named after a player, they had Frank Thomas baseball, Roger Clemens baseball, Nolan Ryan baseball, Cal Ripken baseball, Bo Jackson baseball, as much as I love the guy. If the game is named after a player, it's a shit game. Nah, man, because it it technically wasn't. It was Major League Baseball featuring Ken Griffey Jr. was technically the name of the game. I'm telling you, for N64, it's 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 one of the best baseball games ever. I'm telling you, it's fantastic. 
You can only play that or MLB The Show for the rest uh, of eternity. Which one you picking, buddy? The Show. But that's, I mean, that's not fair. Like, just because it's so much newer and it's a, its the nostalgia of Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball that's part of it. But it's like the nostalgia, I, it can't compare to how much better the show is of a, of a game. I agree with you. I all right, Wayne. Let's hear your let's hear your Atari series. Yeah, I was actually gonna say. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say basically. I agree with Dan. I understand what he's saying because one of the games I have on my list is Pebble Beach Golf Links for the Sega Genesis, and there were no real pros in it. You could rename all of the computer players. You only played one round of eighteen. It wasn't even so. Obviously, a game like Tiger Woods any year is gonna be better than this game. But like I was saying with Dan, you know, I just I fucking loved Pebble Beach Golf Links. I played so many hours of Pebble Beach Golf Links that I have to have it rated ahead of Tiger Woods, even though Tiger was might be a better game i also have another golf game on there hot shots golf three that was kind of a fun one where you know you hit a perfect shot somebody whistle and you played like eight different courses you had to beat all the other players madden 05 which is the last one the only one where you could create your own formations and your own playbooks but people abused the shit out of that so they took it away because ea is a bunch of punks and then i also have another ea game triple play 97 is my baseball game not because it's the best game again but because of the commercials that they would play during like the sixth and seventh inning they would have ridiculous commercials like the house of saws conveniently located next to the house of planks or you know <laughs> chick chicken fried sushi the taste of the orient from the deep south you know they're just hilarious commercials they would play so i loved that game and i played a ton of hours of that and then my last one evander holyfield real deal boxing this is the one that came out before fight night it was so good you would work your way up from the bottom up to the number one contender and you'd have to fight holyfield if you were number one ranked contender in the same breath that he says video games named after players are terrible he has Evander Holyfield boxing on his top baseball games oh specifically baseball oh specifically baseball sorry 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 no I mean it's a great list I mean you knew it was going to be dated and pretty old to show yourself you know but at the same time you know I've played a couple of those so and I know they're great so I can understand it Madden 05 is the newest game is 15 years old it was definitely a dusty list yeah and and, I mean Madden 05 was a great game too so I'm not gonna lie who's on the cover of that one uh Ray Lewis I think yeah, as I said, no, is it? I thought so. I thought it was L. I thought it was LT. No, no, I don't think LT was ever on the cover of Madden. No, no, he wasn't. No, I think that's, a, that's two, a fucking travesty yeah. right there. Might have been two K. Now, my number one game of all time I brought up was NBA Street Volume Two. Did either of you guys ever play that? I did. I, I, I mean, I, I was a fan. I, I don't know. I, the Street games just didn't do it for me. The NBA Street, NFL Street, all that shit. I mean, they just weren't, you know, my my cup of tea. Oh, the game breakers, the music, those things just did it for me. When I was in high school, if you wanted a fight to break out at a video game get-together, it was NBA jams. People would fight over NBA jams. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe neither nobody had NBA jams on their shit. I forgot about that. I'm hoping they come out with a PS5 version. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, a ton of great sports video games, but we all had amazing lists, and this was a fun Infinity 5 for us. For sure. I mean, we all, I, I, I love this segment. It's one of my favorite segments we do. You know, the Infinity Five is just a great way for us to, you know, for you guys to kind of interact with us and get a, and get a piece of our personal side of, our, of how we feel about the sports. Send us your list. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that. Send us your games that you played, the games that you think you disagree with us on. You can reach us on Facebook at Infinity Sports Podcast, on Instagram at Infinity Sports Podcast, and on Twitter at Sports Infinity Five. You can't forget it. You just heard the goddamn Infinity Five. So... Don't forget that. Also, uh, check us out on the RTF Sports Network, rtfsportsnetwork.com, Thursdays, 11 to 12, and check out a few blogs while you're on there as well. Get that flavor in the while you're eating lunch, folks. Yeah, make sure you check us out. 
you know, leave some comments, leave some reviews every week. Get on all the social media platforms. Come say hey. You know how we do. Damn, I think somebody's calling me. Hold on one second. Hey, yo, hold on, guys. We got to pause. It's Kenny. It's over!